Perfect. Um, welcome back, everybody. Um, we are uh, back with two new guests. We're just going to do a quick introduction round. Um, so, Lorraine, Peter, um, maybe you can tell us who you are, uh, where are you from, and uh, what do you do? Ladies first, Peter. <laughs> Always, Lorraine. <laughs> Uh, I'm Lorraine. Um, I'm uh, from Belgium. I, I'm born and I live in Brussels, so in the, in the capital city. Um, and as a daily job, I work as a data protection officer in an IT company. So I live with rules as well. <laughs> That's only a start, Lorraine. Come on. That's only a start. I, I need to go further. Um, <laughs> let me let me think. I met Peter in 2012 in South Africa, which was the really start of my career so um and we were together uh, at the olympics in tokyo last summer so um no i i think i spoke spoke enough so peter floor is yours thanks Lorraine. yeah um i think as you know my name is peter right i'm from south africa I'm currently in australia so quite a strange story which i'm sure you hear a bit more about later um, and from a work side i run the malik hockey agency in south africa and as Lorene mentioned earlier, the, the hockey family is, is really probably one of the main reasons why we do a lot of what we do. Um, you know, the two of us have known each other for 10 years, and I think that's the great part of what, uh, what we do together. Fantastic. Um, thanks for the introduction, guys. We're going to throw you straight in. Um, pressure, the big pressure moments. Um, the ones where you're with the whistle and you've got players throwing their arms up, you've got fans screaming at you. Um, how do you deal with those moments? And what does it feel like being there with your whistle and your cards and one other person? Do you want me to go, Laureen? Yeah, as you want. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, I think pressure, um, Helen, comes with, with the job. It's, it's part of the territory. And it's something that that you get used to, uh, for sure. I think a, a lot of the time we, we get to to focus so much on the game that we don't really recognize the, the crowd. Um, only afterwards, or when you watch the replays, you realize that how active they are and, and and what a noise they actually do make. But but in the game situation, you're so focused on on the ball and on the play. Um, the players obviously have a fair. Uh, fair lot of influence on, on our mind uh, because we're right in the situation with them. But I think the secret is, is to try and remain as calm as possible. And in that calmness, try and keep things as simple as possible. So if we keep to the basics, do the simple things right, that, that generally puts us in a, in a good position. And the moment we try and overthink things or we go looking for things, that's when, when the, the troubles start. Yeah, I agree completely here. Sometimes I feel like um, like a duck on the water. So um, you are paddling a lot, and from the inside you you can feel that yes, there is pressure, um, but you try not to show it on the outside. So if you see a duck swimming, you you don't see how hard he's paddling under the water, and that's often how I feel on the pitch. So, like Peter said, it's all about focusing on what's happening on the pitch. The moment you start thinking about the crowd or about the, what the player reaction might be or what the coach sta coaching staff are saying, or uh, that's the moment you lose it. So I think the focus part is probably the most important in, in dealing with pressure. Uh, just focus on the hockey, on the, on the action that is in front of you uh, and make the best decision you can from the best position you are in. So um, 
yeah, for me, it's all about not showing you're under pressure, even if you feel it inside, um, and just focusing on, on the action. Okay, thank you. Um, you both went to Tokyo um, last um, last year, last summer. Um, what kind of training did you guys have to do to go to Tokyo? Um, and talking about the pressure moments, um, what training do you have to do or did you do? Um, yeah, I, I think you. It's already a bit different. It's there is no training we have to do. Um, it's all coming from from your own. So uh, as empires, you come from uh, different parts in the world. So we rarely have the chance to to train together or to, or to follow a common program. So we're a bit on, on our own on that. Um, so yeah, there is no training except for the physical test uh, that we have to pass every three months. Um, there is no training we have to do it. It's just. We do it from our own um, willingness, let's say, um, and we, we decide ourselves what we think is good for, for us. Um, so if I speak for, for myself, I always try to find new ways to, to get the, the extra 1% and, and to make sure uh, to work on the details, to, to be as ready as possible um, when, when the tournament starts. So uh, I always work on okay on the fitness, of course, because you, you need to be fit. And, and Tokyo was also tricky regarding the weather, so it was really important to to be fit uh, and empowering fit, not not just be able to run, but be able to to be in the right position to yeah to to have quick fit work and stuff. So it's quite it's quite specific. Um, and for me, we always talk about the, the the physical fitness, but the mental fitness is probably even more important. Uh, we, we were talking about pressure. Um, as an umpire, really need to be mentally fit to not only to be able to survive one game, but, but to survive a tournament, uh, because sometimes it just gets uh, get crazy. Um, and something I always do as well since uh, since Rio is um, uh, we call it cognitive training. So it's tra training your decisions, this decision making uh, skills. Basically, uh, it's quite unknown, at least in Belgium. Uh, I think they do it a lot in US for for the high hockey uh, sport. Um, but I'm I'm really sure for umpires that's the future. It's to train your eyes, to train your your decision and your reaction. Um, so that's that's the three main part I'm doing as a as a preparation towards a big tournament like the World Cup or the Olympics. Yeah, th thanks, Lorraine. I think you you do hit the nail on the head of of the wide range of of training that that's needed for for top level. The most important and and the one that we really can control ourselves is is the physical side. Um, when you get to a tournament, you can't control what games you get and how many games you get and what days you're on, etc. So arriving fit and in the best possible condition is the one thing that you have control over and the one thing that you can make sure that you're in, in the best possible shape that you are. And I think obviously arriving in, in Tokyo, you've got 14 umpires that, that are in that position and all want to be in their peak physical performance to try and make it as tough as possible for the selectors or, or the umpire coaches uh, to make their decisions. So that, that's the one thing that is really tough and, and we can put a lot of effort into uh, pre-tournament as well. As Lorene mentioned, the, the, result, the requirements for the fitness testing are, are really um high up and and rightly so for uh the peak event like uh like tokyo was and and up and coming world cups commonwealth games etc as well so the the players are, are super fit and and it's really important that as umpires that that we're in that same boat as well that they can't turn around and say ah look at that fat slob he can't get from a to b he can't get to the circle in time as well so that, that that's very important and then 
as she mentioned, the mental side is is so important to train as well. You can't just arrive at a big tournament and and think that you'll be in the, the right mental state because so many different curveballs get get thrown at you and unexpected things that that happen that are out of your control as well. So to, I think to, to maintain a, a a neutral mindset, to to be resilient, to be able to to take things in your stride is is really so important as well, and that's part of the training that, that we do as well so arriving prepared um having as many games as, as possible and in those training games to try different things so for example for me uh, leading up to tokyo i was really working on on a, a good positioning on my far post to, to try and work do i go back five meters do i go infield five meters do i stay on the post um all just to try and get that extra bit like loreen says that extra one percent that we know we can be in in top form coming uh, coming the games Fabulous. So we are now going to ask the audience a question. So we've got two of the world's best umpires here today. Um, so the question we would like you to talk about in your tables is what makes a good umpire? So you could be an umpire, a coach, a player, a manager, whatever. But what makes a good umpire? What characteristics do they need? Um, pop them in the chat um, and we will see you in five minutes. Okay, perfect. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we hope you have discussed um, the question we asked. Um, if there is something you would like to say uh, about what makes a good empire, what characteristics um, they need, you can always raise your hand. You can come up stage, um, have a bit of a chat, and ask them a question, or you can just put it in a chat. And then we have a look at it. Um, in the meantime, we'll go to uh, the questions. Uh, they were asked, uh, Hugo said, how do you guys do the pre-game chat? What things do you guys discuss? And what agreements do you make? I, I think that, that that's really the most important part of, of any game as well. And I, th I think depending on if you're umpiring with someone new, it's very important to, to get together just to discuss your game plan. It's like the teams prepare and the teams have a team talk before to discuss how they're going to be doing things today. It, the same applies for, for the two umpires. And even if, for example, it's someone that you happen to have umpired 50 to 100 games with, you still need to have a chat because every game is different and, and every game would, would need something different to, to be applied to it. So every time Holland played Germany, you're not going to be expecting the same the same type of play because there could be different uh, uh, different factors that, that are, are riding on that game. The one team could be coming out of a loss, the, the other one, they could be playing for a semi-final. So all of a sudden things change. And, and with that, um, our approach to the game needs to change at the same time. Yeah, I fully agree. And the second part of the question was, what agreements do we make? Um, and basically, you have, of course, your, your plan about the game coming up. So like Peter said, um, but we would also discuss, like, what do you expect from me um, if, if this kind of situations happen? Or do you want me to, which part of the field do you want me to focus on prior uh, in priority? So we will try to, because like, like I said, we come from so different culture and so different countries that we don't always see things the same way. 
And because we arrive usually three to four days before the tournament, it's really hard to, to get consistent quickly enough. So that pre-game chat is really important to, to try to get to this consistency and make sure that there is no surprise for the player. And if I, I see something that is black or, or my colleagues see something that is black, yeah, then we will need to be, to agree that we will have to blow this way, like black the whole game and, and not, yeah, our own interpretation. So. I think the pregame chat is very important first to get your focus um, on and second to get the consistency players and coaching staff expect and deserve. Fantastic. Um, so our next question, um, so we sort of talked about the handling pressured games a bit earlier, so I'm going to sort of skip over that one to the next one. Um, so as we all know, two umpires are on the field and managers on the side. One of the other the one on the other side, um, how do you handle a situation where your co-umpire is throwing the game or making a lot more, more errors? So if you're not on the same page, um, how do you then sort of balance that out? Um, it's a very difficult situation and therefore a difficult question to answer. Um, for me, it's always important to know who is in who is your colleague um, and what your colleague needs at that moment um some some we are we are uh usually we are uh, with mike so we can for example uh encourage a bit the colleague if we see that uh, she or he or she struggle for for some minutes and try to uh put the person back into the game uh, and same the other way around because it's it's difficult to have 70 minutes at your best you always have some kind of of dips um and for me, it comes down to support and, and try to find the best way to support your colleague, depending who your colleague is. Some people need to stay, yeah, don't, don't, don't be bothered. Some people expect some some speech or some, uh, some uh, encouragement. So, yeah, for me, it comes down to support and, and finding the best way to do it. Yeah, I think Lorene's hit the, the nail on the head as well. We, we are really lucky at an inter international level, and I would imagine at the top uh, state or provincial uh, level around the world where, where we do have communication tools like the radios, which are, are a huge help and allow yeah. us to, uh, to, to, to communicate. And, and I think at, at that level, we generally know each other fairly well. That I would, for example, know what, what makes Lorene tick. And Helen, you might have a different characteristic that I'd need to try with you if, if we were umpiring together. Um, I would imagine Leifa's questions more around a, a club-based situation where probably you supply a lot of your own umpires and, and that causes uh, some, some interesting situations I, I can imagine as well. And uh, sorry, I'm, I must say I do have a bit of insight to the Dangerous Darkies uh, hockey team here. They're, they're from my hometown. So um, there are some interesting situations as well. And I think as, as players, we, we've got to understand that, uh, that the umpires are human. So I'd like to think that, that if an umpire is making mistakes, it's human error. It's not going to be that, that they're trying to influence the game as well. I'd, I'd really hate to, to know that people go into games thinking that uh, that's an option to, to, try and, uh, to try and give one team more of an advantage than the other as well. And I think the way that, that we teach our players to react is really, really important as well. And um, if, if we have a, a, a mutual respect, 
going in. So respect for the players, number one. I think that's really important as, as umpires as well, that it's not about us when we umpire there. It's about the two teams that are playing. And we, we show that to the players. We can then just hope that that uh, respect comes back to us and, and we will earn a lot more, um, let's say, credit or points with, with the teams as well. So as umpires, we have to give a lot uh, in order to, to receive that respect from the players. Perfect. Uh, we have someone on stage from uh, Sri Lanka Hockey. Um, I think would like to ask a question. So go ahead. He's not on stage anymore. It's too shy. <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah, I will just go to the next raised hand. There we go. <laughs> No way. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, how are you? Oh we my good. golly gosh. You keep being here, That's really great. Uh, fantastic <laughs> to see you people uh, on stage. Uh, well, uh, thing is, uh, the Tokyo Olympics was totally different you know, from apart from other Olympics, like the COVID situation, and not going to see any other discipline or sports to watch. It was just like hotel, stadium, stadium, hotel. How did you people cope up and what you can tell the young umpires if in case this situation arises, uh, what you will tell the youngsters, uh, how to be uh, miss, to keep the standard high uh, within that frame of uh, uh, rules and regulations, whatever it is. How do you cope up with it? Thanks, Ladies, no, no, let, if you don't mind, Lorena, I'll start because. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, just for the group listening there, this young gentleman, Ragu, was also part of the umpiring panel in Tokyo. So it's great to, to know that he's listening in and, and ready to learn some new tricks from Loreen, which is, is really wonderful. So it's so great to have that. But the special thing about, about umpiring, as we mentioned earlier, is, is this hockey family that we have. And you have some really good friends. Um, and, and friendships that last for many, many years as well. And I've been really lucky enough to be to be mates with Ragu for close on, on 20 years now. Uh, we started years ago in, a, in, in an umpire seminar. And I think things like that keep you, keep you sane and, and keep you on your toes when, when you're at international tournaments. So being able to have someone that you can chat to, someone that, that you know that you can almost offload to and, and be able to to share your, your fears, uh, share what's on your mind and, and, and what's worrying you. Because a lot of the time we don't feel comfortable chatting to an umpire manager uh, or, or we're still inexperienced enough to have the confidence to, to chat to them about what's concerning us as well. So to have a, a support network of your mates and, and your friends that are there, sometimes to get your mind off things, but, but also just to even perhaps pull you back into line should you... Uh, should you wander off the line? Oh, I'm sorry, I'll take over. That's okay. I got your back. <laughs> no, but I think yeah, I think it's um, uh, it's really important. Like Peter said, we are really a family. I don't know Ragu since 20 years, but some some years as well. Um, and for me, the the Tokyo Olympics, like you said, was different um, because you didn't have the opportunity to to do something else, just to think 
about something else than the pressure you get every game. Um, but for me, it was also very interesting because I get to know people I I was thinking I know already, but I I don't know we because we the only thing we had, we could do is chat to each other. Um, I got to know people much more better than than I did before. So um, and like Peter said, having your your peers to to share your feelings, your frustration when you have a game that that goes a bit less uh, well than expected or a bit less well than than you would would have liked to. Um, it's really important to have this support to like like a team of players would have. They would go to their to their um, teammates or their staff or, or discuss. Uh, for me, it was the same. It's uh, you have your your mates and you can. Just share your frustration. Analyze some situations that you think, ah, well, I did it like this, but what would you have done, and and what do you think we should handle this situation? Um, so yeah, I fully agree with Peter. It's um, it's really the family side that makes our job actually so nice, and that's why we keep doing it um, because we we really have a uh, friends around. And in Peter's case at the minute, dogs. <laughs> Um, so why do you love umpiring international hockey what is it that drives you motivates you to get up every well not every day because you've got day jobs but I what, what do you love most about it for me it's the um okay obviously like like we discussed we have we have this family these friends around so uh it's always nice to travel and and see see the people you you, you haven't seen for for some months or years um, but initially, uh, because that's just uh, what just uh, the, the the nicest uh, part. But initially, I, what why I empowered is because I, I love the challenge part. Um, I'm somebody who always need to to be challenged and and yeah, find ways to get better. I love the yeah uh, having to to give it my all, um, and that's what I find in empowering. Um, every game is a new game. Um, even if you you have had a fantastic game yesterday, it doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to be fantastic again. And and what I always also love about empowering is that it teaches you so many lessons for your daily life. Um, I, I used to be somebody who was really not confident at all and very shy. And as an empire, you, you have to be confident and you cannot be shy. So um, for me, it was also a way to go out of my cocoon and yeah, uh, become a different person and a, a person I'm more happy with. You're like an array of animals, Lorraine. You're a swan when you're on the pitch and a butterfly. Yeah, you see. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I think she steals all my answers every time as well. So she's very clever. But but in a nutshell, she's really covered everything. And, and 100%, it's the hockey family that, that we have. And, and we're really a, a close bunch of, of friends between the male and the female male groups as well. And, and that's been a great thing having uh, Tokyo as a mixed event. because it just, it's wonderful to have the two groups together. And, and you do have some really good friends from all around the world. And, and they'll be friends that you'll have, have for life. We, we had an old umpire manager, well, not old, he'll kill me if, if I said that, one of my previous umpire managers who, who actually said, I, I don't actually know if I like hockey, it's, it's just that I'm, I'm here for my mates and here to serve. And I think I think that that's really an important factor in in, in why we do it. So it's not seen as a sacrifice for us or, or a schlep that you're actually giving up time to be there because you know one you're in a happy place, and the challenge of of being put into those tough environments where so much is at play for you all the time. And no matter if it's the, the game that's eight o'clock in the morning on on the B track, 
um, at any tournament. They all have a relevance, and it's the most important game of the day for those two teams as well. So it's the challenge that, that they put in front of us to be our best and to be able to, to serve this wonderful game. And, you know, you see by all the people that are on this forum that it means so much to so many people. So if we can add our value to that, it just makes it so much better. Perfect. Uh, then we'll go uh, to the next question. Um, it is what advice you guys can give your player who's always shouting on every every floor, every mistake. Oh, okay, Lorene, I'll, I'll start on this one as well. And and I would imagine that it happens at, at a younger age as well. And and a lot of it is, is social or cultural where um, it's perhaps seen as, as okay for the soccer players or the footballers to we see them on TV doing it, so it's okay for, for our sport as well. And it, it's something I think as a coach that we have to try and I'd say stamp out is probably a bit harsh as well, but educate the players as, as to to what they're doing and, and why they're doing it as well. And for us uh, as coaches to try and get the players to, to understand that we're all human, that the two people with whistles are also human and they're going to make mistakes. Right? And, and, and the way to, to try and fix those mistakes or get answers is not to shout and is actually to talk. So my suggestion would be to, to give your player who's shouting a lot, give them a whistle and, and let them umpire a game and, and see what it's like on, on the other side as well. Because another famous saying is, I've never made a mistake from the grandstand, where it's great when you're sitting up three flights of stairs away and, and you have an aerial view where the umpires have a very, very different view on the field. And, and generally with... 10 to 20 pairs of, of legs and feet in front of you as well. So th there's a lot a lot of differences. And again, it's around perspective. So qu quite often the player thinks they're right and the umpire thinks they're right. And it's it's just who's to say who, who gets the, the final say as well. So I, I would say get as many youngsters as possible to umpire and, and they might have a bit more respect for the situation. Yeah, actually, uh, I see myself there because that's how I started. So um, uh, because I was pretty shouty and uh, and my dad gave me a whistle and see who I am now. So uh, yeah, uh, completely agree. And if I also, on a player perspective, if I put my player hat, um, I lose credit if I complain on every decision. But if I complain on a decision that is important to the team or, or, or yeah, that is really that does really matter. Then, then probably the umpire will listen, and we can have a, a proper chat. But if you complain about every decision, the umpire is not going to give you any credit anymore. Okay, perfect. Um, adding on this is how are you gonna um, like you said about giving the youngsters a whistle and let them let them be an umpire themselves. Like a question to the audience is how can we promote promote uh, young people. Um, to be an umpire at all levels, have a think about it, have a chat about it around the tables, and then we'll come back and have a discuss about it. Great, welcome back everybody. Um, we had an answer in the chat uh, about a question um, from Oliva Abelzigasa. I'm just going to put it on the screen. Um, and I believe getting all players involved in the development of Plague and Empiring will make it easier for all levels to promote Empiring. Throw in Peter, is there anything you'd like to, to say about it? Um, 
what you think. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Uh, for me, um, and I will not use animals anymore, but uh, umpiring is a bit like vegetables. When you're a kid, it's not something you, you're you gonna eat with pleasure or you will say, I don't like it, uh, even if you never tried it or tasted it. Um, and I speak for myself, but once I tasted it, I really loved it. And and since then I, I keep going, I love it and I just can't stop. So um, completely agree that making people involved and, and making umpiring a bit more sexy than it is right now, I think is the key um, to, to invite young players just to try. And, and it's okay if you don't like it because it's it's normal that some people don't like it, um, but but give it a try and see. Maybe you will be surprised and you actually will like it. So um, I fully agree with the answer here. Yeah, I think Lorenz hit the nail on the head there as well. I have a, a slightly different take to that as, as well. And obviously, like you said earlier, Helen, without two umpires, the games don't happen. But at, at a junior level, there, there are so many teams. And I think that's where the bulk of our players come from. So, so from a, a promotional side, to, to get the learner umpires or the young umpires involved at an at an early age where there's slightly less pressure where they can actually see like Lorene says if they enjoy the veggies or not is, is a great thing um to be able to have some mentor coaches there where, where the umpires receive some coaching which is always great as well so everyone strives for for some feedback and, and some positive reinforcement uh, at, at the same time as well so i think it, those programs around youth hockey and then at, at, at the same time at youth hockey it's a nice little bit of uh, an extra pocket money scheme that you can have as well, because in, in this day and age, nothing happens for, for nothing. And, and as young umpires, you, you can really save up for your next iPhone or, or whatever it is j just by doing some umpiring. And I think through, through that, you, you actually realize that oh, maybe it's not, not such a bad, bad career as well. And, and the next point I wanted to make is, is from a reality side, is, is when we're young, we all want to play for the Belgian national men's team, for example, or, uh, you know, the, the, the Dutch women's team. But there are only 18 players that are going to make that team as well, and, and probably a bigger squad of probably, say, 40 people. And being an umpire gives you an opportunity to see the world and, it's a, and be involved in international hockey as well. So it's not always... Right, it is second to, to playing, 100%. But if you still have the love and you want to be involved with hockey, that's a great way to, to stay involved in the international circuit. I mean, I think between Lorene and I, the number of countries that we've been really fortunate enough to, to visit, and, and a lot of them are places that we'd never, ever get to on holiday or even have the remotest idea of going to. So it's okay if you still have the love for the game. I mean, Lorene's lucky enough that she still plays from an indoor side. Um, but it, it just gives you another avenue to be involved at, at an international level as well. Fantastic. And just staying involved and inspiring other people, I think, just to pick up a whistle is like, really powerful um, and how our game is going to grow and carry on being so successful. Um, so the next question, how do you feel when you make the right, made the right call but the players want a video referral and then the video referral gets reversed. Um, your, well, it reverses your own decision. How does that make you feel? Um, I think um, 
what I learned from from different games, and it comes from experience, that you you take the video as a friend more than a, than an enemy. Um, and you know you have a mate upstairs who, who has so many angles that you didn't have, and you had to take a decision in a split second. So maybe you did you thought it was the right call, but maybe it was not. And from a different angle, um, your mate could see that it was not the right decision. So that's why the video is there for. So honestly, yes, in the, in the beginning it was tough because you it's never nice when uh, you get told that you were wrong. Um, but with experience, you 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 take the, the video as a friend, and that's what it is. Because at the end of the day, what you want is to have that correct call made and and make sure the teams trust the process. And so uh, nowadays, it just uh, yeah, I don't even have a feeling. I just I just take the decision that comes from upstairs. Yeah, I think hundred percent what what Lorena is saying is is that the moment that T signal gets shown at you, you almost switch off because you know it's out of your hands. And there's not much that that you actually much control you have over over that uh, that process as well, and you've tried your best. We have one split second to make that decision, and and again we're human, and I, I think the, that's one of the the better inventions or introductions into hockey, as it just shows the team that right we might have made a mistake and it's okay, and the game carries on and we get the right decision and hopefully everyone is happy going forward from there. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> then we go on to the last question uh, of this session, unfortunately, um, which is, as an umpire, what is the most favorite part of the game? Could be any part, could be the beginning, could be a penalty corner, could be a penalty stroke. Could be anything. For me, it, it's the national anthems. I, I find that the most <laughs> inspiring part it's just you see the raw emotion of the two teams and especially when there's crowds and and, and the home home nation are singing the, the national anthem with the team as well i found for me that's the absolute highlight of, of, of a game because you, you see how much it means to to a lot of people and especially in, in things like in olympic games or a world cup when players are getting their their first cap at, at an olympics or, or it's their first olympics or first world cup and you see the real emotion comes out uh, when you do the singing of, of the national anthem, so that's very special for me. Even even though I sing along under my breath sometimes to some of the nicer tunes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, I I cannot really point one particular situation in a game that I find more exciting than another um, because we just focused on what's happening again. But uh, you have games that 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 you remember more than others because they are more open and more exciting and some really nice actions but i cannot take one particular piece of one particular situation it just you remember the game itself in general fantastic um i'm afraid that's all we've got time for we've had pressure we've had animals um we've had decisions we've had a lot in this session so thank you both ever so much for your time and your expertise it's been fantastic um to, to hear your experiences. Um, audience, we're gonna go back into the lounge um, and have sort of a 15 minute break before we bring our next guests on. But thank you ever so much, Peter and Lorraine. It's been a fantastic 45 minutes and it's been great speaking to you both. Thank you so much for having us. It was really interesting and very nice to be here. Yeah, thanks very much. And, and to you, Helen and, and, and Cedric yeah. for running this uh, the chat. It's really been wonderful and insightful. And I hope we've got a whole lot of budding umpires uh, waiting on the group to, to pick up a whistle. See you soon then. <laughs> Cheers.